Hello and welcome to Hyatt Report and this is your host Omar Hyatt. Today I'm going to talk about two different topics. The first one is of course Emmanuel Macron. Now anyone who knows me knows that I'm not a fan of Emmanuel Macron. So Mr Macron, the president of French Republic, claims to be a champion of free speech, right? And if you recall in an interview to Al Jazeera in October of 2020, he had said, quote, "I will always defend in my country the freedom to speak, to write, to think, to draw." unquote. There is no doubt that some truly condemnable and atrocious incidents took place in France in the name of religion. and one might even be empathetic to macron's rallying against elements of french society that may have sought to undermine the very noble principle of free speech except macron's hypocrisy seems to know no bounds when it comes to not practicing what he preaches when talking about macron george orwell's 1984 and the phrase double think comes to mind of course in the novel this phrase meant the ability to hold two completely contradictory beliefs at the same time and to believe that they were both true in macron's case he somehow seems to believe that he could be a champion of free speech whilst actively undermining the very same principle that he publicly professes to hold so dear the latest action by the french president completely unmask his double think he's suing a billboard owner yes he is actually suing a billboard owner for allegedly depicting him as a tyrant Now if you're not aware of this particular news item let me just brief you on it. So there is this guy named Michel Ange Flory a, a French national and this guy barely has like 5000 followers on his Twitter account. Um but he supposedly owns a bunch of billboards in France and as a protest against COVID-19 lockdowns he depicted Macron in a khaki uniform with a very short mustache now let me make it very clear it's unclear whether he was meaning to depict macron as hitler stalin or for that matter charlie chaplin from the movie dictator because in a series of tweets michel implied that the poster could be depicting any of these people Michel also expressed his sarcasm in a tweet in French which roughly translates to quote I have just learned that I will be heard at the Toulon police station tomorrow following a complaint from the president of the republic so in Macronia one can laugh at the prophet it is satire but to make up the president as dictator it is blasphemy unquote 
So clearly, uh, this guy, Michel, who put up this billboard in France, is making a reference to the cartoons in France that were published, and Macron um, defended those cartoons against a religious um, figure as freedom of speech. And on the other hand, when a guy just puts up a poster depicting him as a tyrant, he sues that guy. That is not shocking to me. Um, This is, however, is not the only action on part of the French president or his government that demonstrate the that demonstrates the contrast between what they preach in terms of free speech to the world and how they practice it now again l- let's just take a jog back down our memory lane um in october 2020 when turkish president recep tayyip erdogan said that macron needed quote unquote mental check for his offensive comments regarding Islam, France recalled its Turkish envoy. So much for freedom of speech, eh? Um, then there was that security bill passed by French lawmakers in March of 2021, which meant that people could not film police officers and would be criminalized even if they were to film police brutality towards innocent and unarmed civilians. This bill, of course, saw a huge backlash from the French public. So the lawmakers in France modified the bill to make dissemination of images of police with the intention of quote-unquote provocation as offence or as offensive or an offence, I suppose, um, the legal terminology. Um, So basically, filming police officers and distributing those images with the intention to create provocation is an offence. I'm still unclear as to how the later version of this bill is different to the earlier version. To me, they're one and the same. To me, the French lawmakers do not want their public to film their police beating up innocent people. And... These people believe in freedom of speech? How? Like, honestly, I do not understand. If you believe in freedom of speech, you would believe in freedom of press as well. And that would go hand in hand. And freedom of press is not limited to uh, renowned publications or publications that attract huge audiences. Freedom of press basically means people should be free to report anything they see, anything they hear. That's freedom of, of press in a sense. It's suppo- it is supposed to be the fourth pillar of a democracy. Anyway, um, so this bill, um, the so-called security bill that was um, seeking to ban um, filming of police brutality in France, uh, was blocked by a French constitutional court in May 2021. The point I'm trying to make is not so much that France has issues. Every country has issues. There is no country in the world which doesn't have issues. But the point that I am trying to make 
is that the French president has no shame in contradicting himself to gain political mileage. He and his government have weaponized the identity politics. They have left no stone unturned in marginalizing some of the already very marginalized communities in France. They have emboldened far-right French extremist groups, which have been known to use violence against refugees and immigrants in France. Not that I will ever get to meet French president, but if I did meet him, I would say, Mr. Macron, you, sir, have no effing shame. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about today is the conflict in Syria, right? The conflict in Syria started over 10 years ago. It resulted in millions of people being displaced and countless lives being lost. Now, most people across the globe have a very polarized view of the Syrian conflict. There are some who believe Bashar al-Assad is a monster and should be removed at any cost. And then there are those who believe Syrian civil war was and is Syria's internal matter and no external power should interfere in a country's internal affairs. Now, this polarization gets even steep when it comes to the Muslim world. Because most Muslims don't just see this as a conflict between a ruler and his subjects. To some Muslims, it becomes a conflict between a Shiite dictator and an oppressed Sunni population. And to other Muslims, this becomes a clash between Saudi-inspired Wahhabi ideology and a head of state who is trying to protect his diverse population from anarchy. I, on the other hand, have a unique understanding of this conflict. Now, just to be clear, I just want to make it very clear. I am not a Syrian, nor have I ever been to Syria. But I have friends who are Shiite. I have relatives who are Shiite. In my interactions with these family and friends, I learned a lot about their fear of anything that gets a seal of approval from Saudi Arabia, including an ideology such as Wahhabism. Because, for instance, there is a substantial Shiite population in Saudi Arabia who, according to some reporting, is marginalized and is often discriminated against not necessarily by the majority population of Saudi Arabia, which is Sunni, but by Saudi ruling class, and this shows in the country's policies towards Shiite population, including education policies where Shias aren't allowed to be school principals and are prohibited from becoming teachers of religious subjects. Now, against this backdrop, when countries like Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Qatar and Turkey backed the so-called rebels in Syria against Bashar al-Assad, one can only imagine what Shias or Shiite Muslims across the globe thought of this. 
In contrast to a large Sunni Muslim population of the world, this wasn't about Wahhabism. It was about people who belonged to their faith and their sect being persecuted by a dictator who should not even be in power if not for his father, who, by the way, was also a dictator. Therefore, a lot of Sunni Muslims did not see anything wrong with America and its allies intervening in Syrian conflict. To them, the intervention in Syria by America and its allies was sold as American intervention in Bosnia Part 2. The political similarities between Bosnian conflict and Syrian conflict, although from an outsider's perspective, may not be very many, but to Sunni Muslims, this was not about politics. This was about taking a stand against doctrine of oppression, i.e. Muslims in Bosnia were tortured, raped, murdered, and so were Sunni Muslims in Syria by its Shiite dictator. So according to Sunni Muslims, it was only fair that if America intervened in the Bosnian conflict to save lives, then why should it be criticised for doing so in Syrian conflict? However, it's not that simple. There are other layers to this conflict, namely Syria's alliance with Soviet Union during Cold War against Western powers, And post-Iranian revolution in 1979, Iran also became a Russian ally. Syria and Iran are neighbours and they both, over the years, actively opposed Israeli occupation of Palestine, Golan Heights and Lebanon. Israel is America's ally and America has always come to its aid and rescue. And some might argue that Iran defeated Israel in Lebanon through Hezbollah. And Syria allowed Iran to use its infrastructure in providing Hezbollah with logistical support. Then there is Saudi Arabia in the region. An American ally and a paranoid one at that. Saudi Arabia being a monarchy does not want... Does not want its population to get inspired by Iranian revolution or a potential democratic Syria, or for that matter, a democratic Egypt. Therefore, it's only natural for a form of government such as Saudi monarchy to do all it can in its power to ensure its survival, even if that means undermining a legitimate revolution by an oppressed population. Undermining how, you ask? (laughs) To that, my fellow listeners, I would say look up Operation Timber Sycamore on Google, where CIA covertly spent millions of dollars in arming, training and providing logistical support to so-called Syrian rebels against Bashar al-Assad. And a lot of Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia, funded these efforts by CIA. However, the rebels that CIA and these um, Muslim countries claimed were quote-unquote moderate weren't all that moderate after all. Most of these rebels 
ended up joining extremist groups in Syria and created and caused atrocities with, of course, the weapons and equipment provided by Uncle Sam. Now, with a decade-long war, Syria's infrastructure has collapsed. Israel regularly invades Syrian territory and bombs, quote-unquote, targets in Syria. Northeastern Syria, which has most of Syria's oil reserves and wheat, is under American occupation. Idlib is under the control of so-called rebels. Turkey has invaded Syria and occupied some of its lands to protect itself from Kurdish separatists. If not for Russia, Assad would have most likely met the same fate as Libya's Gaddafi and Syria the same as Libya. And if you remember, Libya went from being one of the most prosperous countries in Africa to a country where human beings were being auctioned in slave markets. So the point I'm calling out here is Syria's civil war is not as simple as a conflict between Sunnis and Shias. It's a conflict that involves a lot of proxy wars and it's a conflict that involves interests of so many different countries it's even it's even not possible to call out how many of these countries are involved in Syria. So the point I'm trying to make is if people want peace in Syria, the first thing they need to realize is the peace in Syria won't be possible without these countries leaving Syria alone. And that's what I think about the Syrian civil war. I think these countries like the United States, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Turkey, Qatar, UAE, they should all leave Syria alone. And then it, it would and then in my opinion, it would create a scenario where a peace process could take place. 